Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. <clears throat> when I looked at this before the meeting, I'm not trying to be silly, really, but it's just kind of funny that I looked at the first verse and I said, why did they pick me to read this? Here's what it says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now this was Paul, or Apollos, right? Anyway, speaking, and I will continue. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it, it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that doeth, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law of God, I'm sorry, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. May God bless you know, uh, We were at commissioning, and I, I think I shared on our Facebook page all the pictures I could with Micah. And, of course, you know, he is now a married man. Uh, so uh, continue to pray for them as they get ready to uh, be Corps officers in Greenville, North Carolina. Um, but it's always good to be in the pulpit for me. This is, this is where I thrive, I guess you would say my gift um, from, from the Lord, of course. Before you feel really bad about chapter 7 <clears throat> and this idea that I just can't quit sinning and just this torment, please understand that thankfully the book of Romans does not end in chapter 7, okay? Uh, honestly, if, if you were doing a study of what Paul is saying, you'd want to start uh, with chapter 6, chapter 7 and chapter 8, because really what I've done, uh, I've almost done you a disservice in starting right in the middle, because a lot of people want to believe that uh, this is the Christian life, that I can't help doing what I'm doing, that I'm just going to keep sinning and asking God to forgive me. Uh, that is not what we teach. We don't teach that, uh, and Paul is not teaching that. Paul is saying... In and of myself, that is the life that I will live. But in Christ, 
Uh, I don't I have victory over sin. Amen. You have victory over sin if you are a believer. But now we, what he's really describing is this civil war of the soul, if you will. Some of our uh, ancient theologians like St. Augustine have even described this. So let's let's really look at this. Well, I've titled this from a chapter in a book from Max Licato. Years ago, he wrote a book called In the Grip of Grace, and it was really about the book of Romans. And in that book, Max Licato actually talks about how even on our worst days, now maybe some of you don't have bad days. I have a lot of bad days. You can ask the lady that just took the kids outside. And it's those days where I say, Lord, do you love me today? Because I'm, I'm mean. And the Lord would say, yes, I love you today and tomorrow. Sometimes we think that God, God's love fluctuates like we do, and thank God it doesn't. Paul is saying that. He's saying, you know, I know what the law says, and I want to do good, but sometimes I just don't do good, Right? So there's like this inward battle that he's describing. What exactly is a civil war? Well, one dictionary says that a civil war is a state of hostility or conflict between elements within an organization. Now, when we think of civil war, we think of our history. But have you ever thought of the phrase to describe a season in your spiritual life? Maybe you haven't, but when we look at these verses, that's kind of what I want to look at. Starting with verse 11 and verse uh, 12, uh, Paul is saying that though the law makes sin known and is in fact used by sin to produce death, it is nevertheless holy and just and good, reflecting God's perfect and eternal holiness. So when you think of the law of Moses, okay, when you read you know, the first five books of the Bible, and those are what we call the, the, the law of Moses, right? All of the Levitical law. God was really saying, this is, you know, if you're going to be in my family, uh, Jew, Jews, Israel, he, the Hebrews, this is how I expect you to live. And thankfully, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, we have the power to live in a way that God approves in Jesus, but if you were to say, okay, here's the law, here's all the do's and don'ts, but you don't have a Savior yet, you have to make this work on your own. I would say, good luck to you. You're going to need it. Because with just the law, we're not able to live a holy life. Okay? In fact, our doctrines tell us that, that without Christ, when we were born sinners, we were, it uses the phrase totally depraved. Now, maybe when you do a resume and they say, describe yourself to me, you do not write, I am totally depraved. You wouldn't want to do that. Um, but without Christ, we are. In fact, David even wrote, I was sinful in my mother's womb. Okay. Now, I know that we want to think of every person as good. And, and I've even heard people say, you know, people are ultimately good. And I'm like, I don't know what people you know, but we're not good. We do some really bad things without Christ. Now, I want to share with you my own personal civil war of the soul. I am getting better at this. 
I am a work in progress. But uh, my wife will tell you, and the uh, state of North Carolina and South Carolina, especially the Highway Patrol, will tell you that I've struggled in my life with speeding. And there is just a part of my anatomy that has gotten a lot of bad attention, my right foot. Uh, you've heard it called lead foot. But there's times when I'm driving on the interstate or highway, cruising at a good 75 to 80 miles per hour, as all interstates should be, speeding past the cars who are even in the left lane. And then suddenly I see the law. Now, not the police, but this, this sign that says speed limit 65, and I frown. Because after looking at the sign, something clicks in my head that says, now, Dave, that's the law, so slow down. My problem, and this is, I'm, I'm giving you this illustration because really this is what Paul is saying. My problem is not what I did before I knew the speed limit. My problem is what I continue to do after I read the speed limit, after I know the law. You think that I would have no desire to speed, but like sin, speeding is fun. You laugh because you know it to be true. You would think that I would have no desire to speed, but I do. Part of me still wants to go just faster than everybody else, or really not just everybody else. I just want to go a little bit faster than what that sign tells me to do. You see, part of me wants to, <coughs> excuse me, wants to break the law. So when I get on the interstate, here's the voices that go on in my head. My ought to, right, says that's illegal. My want to says, but it's been a while since I've been caught. My ought to reminds me, but the law is the law. My want to counters, but the law isn't for careful drivers like me. It's for people who really aren't responsible. That's for people who text and drive, not me. My ought to doesn't buy it. Slow down. You're breaking the law. You see, it's what Paul is saying. Before we knew the law, we were okay. You know, there is some truth to the idea that ignorance is bliss. I don't know what I don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But as one person said, once you know, you need to do, once you know, you should do better. You see, our eyes read the speed limit, but my body, really my heart, says, no, I like going this speed. Thank you very much. What I should do and what I end up doing are two different things. I was better off not knowing the speed limit. You see where we're going here? Uh, now, I will say, and all, all in transparency, I have learned, I mean, I've even gotten to the point where my the, the Army's insurance said, we can't hold you on our insurance anymore. I've gotten two speeding tickets on the same day in the same place by the same police officer on my wife's birthday. That was a bad day for me. Uh, but maybe you get an understanding of what Paul is saying in these verses, right? Paul is describing his own personal struggle 
with wanting to do good, but yet having this, this, this inward war that goes on. So when, we, when we're struggling, uh, now thank God we still, as, as believers, we still have chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But, but yes, in this world, we will have temptation. We will have that, that battle sometimes that, that happens. So what, what can we know when we go through that? There are three truths about grace that can encourage us in our own inward battle. First, God still claims you. You may not claim you. You may say, man, I have really woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Right? When Satan is trying to lead you into a sinful situation, remember your position in life. Or as I was told as a kid, when we would go somewhere always with the army, you know, I was one of those kids, I would have never left the house if it wasn't for the Salvation Army. I've, I've seen the world because of the army. Uh, so I was always told, remember whose you are. Remember that? When people say, don't just remember who you are, remember whose. You are. You are a child of God. In Romans 8, 16 and 17, this is what we read. The Spirit Himself, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. That's your position. In life, you are a child of God. Whether you feel like it or not, you are a child of God. Uh, one song that was sang during commissioning, uh, during praise and worship said, I am who I am because the I am says I am. That's your position. Not what everybody says about you, not even what you say about you, it's the fact that God has said, you're a mine, that God still claims you. When we fall because of our sinful nature, when we sin, God doesn't turn his back on us. He picks us up, he brushes us off, and he tells us, try again. What did he say to the woman caught in adultery? He said, I forgive you, now go and sin no more. Even though we may battle inwardly with sin, God still claims us. And don't lose heart if you're struggling. The very fact that you and I are under attack sometimes means we're on the right side. Take a look at who's writing about this inner battle. It's the Apostle Paul. The man who in one chapter or in one book gives his resume. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, he, he didn't just study the law. He memorized the Old Testament, the, the, the books of Moses. So maybe we're actually in good company when we say, man, I've, you know, sometimes I struggle. You know who doesn't struggle? People who are blinded by the gospel, who are far away, who are living a life that they shouldn't live. They're not struggling. Sometimes we like to think, well, you know, uh, the most unhappy people are sinners. No, sometimes they are very happy. They have no peace, they have no joy, but they know how to be happy. And we often say, well, why don't they struggle? Because this is a spiritual fight. This is a spiritual battle. The man that we attribute the majority of the New Testament 
says, sometimes I struggle with sin. Notice the, the words that he uses, the, the pronoun that he used, I. And look at what he says when he's reading it in the tense, present. I do not understand. It is sin living in me. I do not do the good things I want. I see. All of this is like in present tense. He, he's saying, look, sometimes I struggle. What a miserable man I am, he says. Paul's not telling us about a struggle he had years ago. He's saying, this is kind of what I'm dealing with right now. You see, Satan will try and use everything he can to separate us uh, from fellow believers, from our relationship with Christ. Paul's struggle and our struggle today is an inward battle. Paul even tells us we don't fight each other. Now, some of us do, and that's not biblical. Paul said our struggle is spiritual in nature. In fact, I would even venture out to say that most of the struggles that we have are all spiritual in nature because that is the war that's been declared on us. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and again, Ephesians 5.12, our struggle, there's that word again, that struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, <coughs> excuse me, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, he really paints this interesting uh, picture of just a, a an almost, if, if I can call it like an alien conflict that you can't see it, but it's happening. And sometimes in our, in our inward struggle, we begin to go on the attack and think, well, it's that person that's attacking me. No, it's Satan. It's the spiritual fight. And that's why in Ephesians, Paul tells us we need to be battle ready. We need to have a helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and all those things that he describes. See, this battle that rages, sometimes it rages more in our minds and in our hearts than it ever will on the outside. Our struggle, Paul says, is against the devil and his plan, the evil, his evil forces. Throughout this struggle with sin, we have to remember whose we are. We are God's child. Sometimes you may have to stand in the mirror. This may sound silly, but maybe you need to look in the mirror and say, I am God's child. That God has said who I am. Not what the world says, not what I say, not what somebody may think of me. We are God's children because of that fact we can overcome. Paul understood he was God's child. That's why under the direction of the Spirit, he could write what's in chapter 8. So know whose who you are. Uh, know your position. God still keeps you. And then also, God still guides you. The first truth was our position. You're a child of God. The second is the principle, the Word of God. That's how we're guided, by the Word of God. This, this living and active, breathing Word of God. So when we're under attack, we tend to question the legitimacy of God's commands. It's the same playbook that started in the garden. Did God really say? And when we get that in our head, we, we've... 
You ever, you ever heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Like when you just keep saying, you know, that's just never going to work. That's just never going to work. Guess what? That's never going to work because you keep saying it. You keep, you keep saying and then what you're saying, you keep doing. Right. So if if we keep listening to the to the lies of the enemy, we believe them. When we're under attack, we tend to question what God has already made plain. We begin to rationalize like I do on the interstate. I know what the speed limit says, but that's for people who haven't driven as long as I have. I'm a good driver as I just fly by people with usually a cup of coffee in one hand and the other hand holding the steering wheel. So what happens is when we question the legitimacy of the law, I decrease in my mind the authority of the law. So when I start to question God's word, I decrease its authority in my life. And this when you get into the dangerous area of rationalization. Because let's be honest, I can rationalize anything. Good, bad. Some of the worst things we've ever done as human beings, we had a pretty good plan. Or we would say, well, you know, I did this because fill in the blank. That's why Paul says, and we read it earlier in Romans 7, 12, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. The root word for holy means different. So why are God's commands holy? Because they come from a different perspective. God's perspective. Let me go back to my speed limit illustration. Speed limit 65. Well, that's not my perspective. That's somebody else's perspective. It's the lawmakers. Their thoughts are not my thoughts. See? Their ways are not my ways, thank God. They are concerned, they say, with my safety and the safety of others. Because if I'm going 80 in a 65, I definitely don't have your health and safety in mind. You see, I am looking at my Waze app. And like any man, when it says arrival time is three hours and 32 minutes, if I just beat it by a minute, I did right. I won. You see, when they created the law, they were concerned about my safety, and I'm concerned about speeding so I can get where I want to go. They want what is best for the drivers. I want what's best for me. So when they create a law, it's not for my pleasure. It's for my safety. Do you see how all this really intertwines here? Don't read God's law and think he just wants me to be an unhappy, miserable, no fun. No, no, God is saying, look, anything that he says don't, anything he says do, go out and do. But the things that he says don't do, that's for your safety. You know, when you read all those weird Levitical laws that some of them make no sense at all, well, shellfish. I don't like seafood, so I don't care. But some people would think, why? You know, there's some people who still follow this. They think that that is, that's what God... There was no centers for disease control when the, when the Hebrews were wandering around the desert. 
So God gave them these, these hygiene laws to say, look, you may not understand it now, but I'm keeping you healthy. Uh, don't eat pork. Well, what did he have against pigs? Well, they had no refrigeration. You see how all this makes sense? And I'm very thankful for the verse in Acts where God said, kill and eat. Everything is good to eat now, right? But you see, sometimes what we forget is these, these laws that people love to say, God just, he's, you know, there's no joy. There's no, he just don't do this, don't do that. Don't. Think about this. I know this is a touch, touchy subject. But why did God say to be holy means you have one, uh, a man will have one wife and a wife will have one husband. You know what that cuts out? Uh, sexually transmitted diseases. You don't even have to worry about it, which will keep you alive. Because the other people in their area who worshiped other gods, uh, they did not have monogamous relationships and they had all sorts of diseases. So sometimes when we read God's word, we, we like to say, oh, he's, there's another fun thing he says I can't do. No, what he's saying is, uh, actually, I want to keep you alive. Actually, if you will just follow this law, it'll keep you safe and have a healthier life. And so that's, that's one of the things we have to understand about God's law. We need to read God's word. It helps us. Uh, it helps us to see who he is, and it gives us an understanding of why the law is good for us. A good example of this was written over 1,700 years ago, and I mentioned him earlier, St. Augustine, in a book called Confessions, very interesting book. Um, you see, when I, going back to my speed limit sign, I show the ugly, selfish side of me. I don't care about you. I hope you wear your seatbelt because I'm speeding. You see, when I break the speed limit, I'm showing my sinfulness, the selfishness. If I had never known the speed limit or the law, I would have never seen how bad I could be. The law is the mirror. It reminds us that, as Paul says, I have fallen short. When he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it really means I've missed the mark. I'll never be able to make the mark. You know, I'll never be able to hit 10 out of 10 on the bullseye unless it's men's club. And I do pretty good with that for someone that doesn't have a gun. But look at what St. Augustine says in Confessions, and this makes perfect sense. He's writing about his own struggle. He says, there was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we rascally youth set out to rob it and carry our spoils away. We took off a huge load of pears, not, now notice this, this is the sinful nature, not to feast upon ourselves, but to them, to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidden fruit. They were nice pears, but it was not the pears that my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief. The desire to steal was simply awakened by the prohibition of stealing. You see, the pears didn't tempt Augustine. It was the fence around the pear tree that tempted him. It was the do not enter sign. It was the private property 
sign. It was the speed limit 65. You see, isn't there within all of us a voice that says, I wonder how many pairs I can pick without being seen? How far can I go? Do you know there's actually, um, and this is true, there are people who have fallen to their death. Uh, places like the Grand Canyon, other beautiful places. It's kind of weird. The world is interesting. The most beautiful places are sometimes the most dangerous. And what people have done, not because they wanted to fall, they have always thought, how close can I get to the edge without falling off? And unfortunately, they get too close. And, and you know what's really sad is there are a lot of people now who have died taking selfies because they have turned around and not realized how close they are to the edge. Sometimes the question is not how close can I get, but really how safe can I be and still enjoy what I see without getting intermingled and, and falling, spiritually falling to our deaths. How fast can I go without the, uh, on the interstate without getting caught? See, when we start to ask these questions, we're really crossing a line that brings us back into the old self. And it's because of God's grace that we've been delivered from that. But sometimes that, that struggle is still, still there. One, one officer used to say to me, sometimes the old man wants to come off the cross. We used to sing and we would do this little hand clap. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And, and it sounds so nice, and it's nice, but I always laugh now and think, really, we're talking about being crucified, right? We're talking about every day dying to myself, to what I want. Why do we get into places or think things that we know in our hearts we shouldn't be doing or thinking? We know better. Why are we so quick to go back sometimes to the old way? Or as Paul writes, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, friends, here's the good news. We have a rescuer. We have someone who will take care of what we cannot take care of. Eugene Peterson says it this way. I've tried everything and nothing helps. You ever said that? I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? You see, when it comes to the battle of sin in our own soul, we're not going to win. But Christ has already won. At some point in all of our lives, we've said those words that Paul has said. Uh, and I think I love how the King James kind of says it. I, what I, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. Right? Like that's torture. Right? It's almost like a form of insanity. Like I can't stop. What's wrong with me? And Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, we have power over sin. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not saying I'm perfect and I will never sin. It's saying sin does not rule in me anymore. Now, you, God's never going to grab you and say, hey, you can't do that. You still have free will. But it's the idea and the, and the, and the, and the truth that the Holy Spirit is now driving the car. Okay, we're not. We don't have to be defeated spiritually. We do have victory, not in and of ourselves, but through Christ. And that is the last truth of grace I'd share with you. It's God that gives us the victory. If you don't remember anything today, 
uh, that I've said. Remember this, you have victory over sin, hell, and the grave because of Jesus. That's not just what we, sh we should talk about on Easter. It's every Sunday. It's every day. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So next time you face this personal civil war of the soul, remember your position. You are a child of God. Remember your principles, the word of God. And remember, you have victory in Christ. Do you think that you will never have the victory because of your sinful nature? It's not true. You can have victory. You can have it today. Now, yes, Satan will always tell you that you don't. Uh, he may even tell you that you're not even saved, that you need to recheck everything that you think. You see, it's all lies. Jesus told us everything, everything Satan says is a lie. Jesus said that, you know. If Jesus was from Mississippi like I am, he would have said he would rather climb a tree and tell a lie than stand on the ground and tell the truth, right? That's what he is. He is a liar. So anything Satan says, it's going to be contrary to the word of God. But God, uh, Christ gives us his spirit, which is himself, God the Holy Spirit, will help us, teach us the way in which we are to live so that when that battle gets heated, we can actually say, Lord, fight for me. And he will. He already has. We have victory through that. Don't just stop at chapter 7. Chapter 7 is important, but just remember, there is a chapter 8 and another chapter that in Christ we have victory. We're going to sing together this uh, chorus well, actually, it's a couple of verses of the song that says, Song 714, Jesus, save me through and through. Save me from self-mending. You see, that's what Paul's talking about. I can't save myself. I can try, but it's never going to do. And in fact, that verse says, self-salvation will not do. Pass me through the cleansing. It's song, uh, tune 238, Mary Carol. It's to the tune, Near the Cross. Through temptation, save from sin, self and pride subduing. Save me through and through within. Save me by renewing. Through the tempest, through the calm, with the master talking. On my own beloved's arm, off with Jesus walking. And that course is through and through, through and through. Jesus, make me holy. Save me to the uttermost, all the way to glory. You know, our founder would say that we're in the business of getting saved, being saved, and keeping saved. That's what holiness is. Every day that we live on this earth, we get closer in the likeness of God. Okay? And so let's sing that together. And maybe if you're struggling with something, I want you to know you can give it to the Lord.